Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. I think the best thing is the freedom. Home is wherever you park it. If you don't like your neighbors, you just move. Have you ever gone RVing? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to actually live in an RV? Today, we're going to interview Jerry Minchie, who is a number one best-selling author about RVing. And the super cool thing is, is that he's going to tell us what the 222 rule means. So if you've ever wondered what it was like to actually live in an RV, you can't miss today's episode of Rock Your Retirement. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is Kathy, the founder of the show. And today I am so excited. We have a, an adventurist on the show. His name is Jerry Minchie, and he lives full time in an RV. That's right full-time in an RV, and he's written several books about it. The most well-known is the first one called Motorhome and RV Retirement Living, the Most Enjoyable and Least Expensive Way to Retire. So, Jerry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kathy. So tell me, how long after you retired did you start RVing full-time? Well, retiring was not really point in time it was more of a gradual thing tell me about that what what happened i've been uh, dabbling selling things on amazon and having websites for a long time i had my own business i sold that several years ago so it wasn't actual one day i just retired it was just a change so it wasn't like you went from working 2,000 hours to bam working nothing right and as a matter of fact you're still an author is that correct that's correct one of the things that we talk about on this show in other interviews is the impact that people have from going 2,000 hours a year to nothing so i'm glad that you didn't do that so yours was kind of gradual and then did you decide to become a full-time rver as part of that process or was it after you became an author one book i'd written before that but 
most of my riding has been since I've been RVing when I haven't had the time to do it now. Okay. So there's really not a point in time when you can call yourself retired? I don't think so. I was doing several internet or website businesses and that all along. And so there wasn't a, I sold my business probably 10 years ago. So course being in, in office every day. Was your office job internet related as well? No, not particularly. <laughs> Internet's involved in a little bit of everything, but it wasn't the main part of it. Well, it's funny because when, when I first reached out to you, when my producer first reached out to you for the show, I wasn't really sure how that works with Arvine and doing an interview for my, for my listener. We are interviewing over Skype right now. So I wasn't really sure how that was going to work. What kind of internet service do you have living in an RV? You have uh, usually have two or three, so you have a backup. I use a Verizon Jetpack, anywhere I've got a Verizon phone signal, I have internet. And then if I'm in you know, campsites, you have uh, the Wi-Fi that's somewhat unpredictable, but it's free. So I use a little bit of different methods. So most campsites include Wi-Fi? Yes, but it's good for checking email and so forth, but... At certain times of the day, it gets real busy. Like if everybody's trying to check email or download videos, it's slow as Christmas. <laughs> you want to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night. It's kind of like if you got one garden hose supplying water for the whole place. As long as nobody else is taking a shower, you got plenty. If everybody turns on shower, you don't have water. Just like You're my- in trouble. Same, same as same as Wi-Fi when everybody turns it on. <laughs> so don't count on the Wi-Fi at the RV parks. Right. Make sure you have your own. Right. So that's a great tip, number one. So let's think about what my questions are. The first one is, what do you think the best thing is about living in an RV? I think the best thing is the freedom. Home is wherever you park it. If you don't like your neighbors, you just move. Yeah, it's kind of hard for my husband and myself to just pick up and move right now. <laughs> 3,500 square feet um, would be kind of hard to do that. How many square feet do you have in your RV? Uh, I guess more like 350. It's a class A, 34 foot class A. That's considered big, right? Right. Yeah. That's one of those long ones. What's the, what's the best thing that you like about it? I mean, you, you like being able to pick up and just move. Is there anything else? Probably the best thing is the different climates. Like I'm in the North Carolina mountains in the summer and I go to Florida for the winter and a lot of side trips, but I don't like cold weather. So I like to be able to follow the climate. That makes sense. Absolutely. What's your favorite place that you've been to? Probably Cedar Key, Florida. Cedar Key, Florida. So it's a place that's about like Florida was 50 years ago. There's no chain restaurants. There's no chain hotels. It's 700 people. And uh, it's just a little fishing village. Are you a fisherman? No. I mean, commercial fish. They raise, I think, 95% of the clams that's raised in the whole country is raised that little island, that little place. There's a bunch of little islands, so. But nobody passes by there. It's a one road, 25 miles out of the way to get to it and turn around and come back. So nobody passes by. When you go, how long do you stay? Oh, uh, year before last, I stayed a month. Last year, this year, I stayed four months. And I just like Four it. months? Yeah. I went there day after Thanksgiving, came back first of April. Wow. Okay. Most of the time, I move around to different places in Florida. But this year, I just decided to stay put there. If you're living in an RV in Florida, does it ever get... Well, I, I guess you're probably there during the winter, right? So it doesn't get too muggy? Right. When it starts getting warm, I head back to the North Carolina mountains. So really, you're going between North Carolina and Florida. You're not traveling to the to the West Coast. No, I haven't so far, and I probably won't. I don't, I don't like the West Coast as much as I do the East. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that to a West Coast girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what, what you like better about the East Coast than the West. Well, I like the, or the coast part. I like the North Coast. Washington and Oregon, that part. 
but the water's a lot colder there than here. Oh, it is. Oh, you can't really go in the water. Yeah, here it gets 95 in the summertime, the water temperature, so a whole lot better. And I like high humidity. I like all the green stuff, waterfalls. and So you like looking at the jungle? Yeah. Yeah, and they have that, what is it called, kudzu growing everywhere? Kudzu, yeah, that's, that's the bad part. The Spanish moss is the part that looks southern. So when you go to these RV parks, so I, I've been to Florida. My stepmom and my dad live in Florida. One of the things that scares me about Florida are the alligators, and they're everywhere. So have you ever ran across an alligator in one of your RV parks? Uh, some little ones in the RV parks. I lived for almost 20 years in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and alligators were everywhere there. Isn't that funny? I never think of South Carolina as having alligators. <laughs> <laughs> they're all over the golf courses and everywhere. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In the RV, in the mountains, I've stepped out of my RV and have a black bear standing there looking at me like, what's for supper? Now I'd be scared. <laughs> what did you do? Tell me what you did when you saw a black bear and you were just out of your RV. I was upset because I didn't have my camera. I almost always have my cell phone with me with a camera and I didn't have that. That's what you were worried about, <laughs> what, not having a camera? That's what I was worried about. <laughs> did you rethink that worry after you got back inside? <laughs> no, the bears are not that aggressive as long as you don't get between them and their cubs. They're okay. So it's the black bears. It's not the brown bears. Right. The black bears are not as bad as the brown bears. See, I lived in Alaska for six years, and uh, the brown bears, they'll come at you for no reason. No, black bears, there's some honey bees in the hives, and you have to have electric fence around that, so they get they come around the honey. And that's where I've, I've seen them several times around here when back when there was honey bees here. They're not now. So say that again, where there's honey hives, you have to have an electric fence? Well, the beehives, most anybody's raising bees and has a bunch of beehives, they put electric fence around it because just like Winnie the Pooh, they bears like honey. So it's the commercial beehive, right. beehivers, or, not the the natural beehives right. that you're talking about. Because I'm thinking, well, Commercial hmm. and individual <laughs> farmers that have one or two hives or something. Hmm, that's really interesting. So you like being able to pick up, you've gotten to see some beautiful parts of the East Coast. Uh, what's the worst thing about living in an RV? They're not as well insulated, so when it's uh, it gets cold in there, of course you crank up the heat, but still it's not insulated as well as a house. A lot of times there's things to repair because you, it's like your house having a constant Category 6 earthquake or something because going down the road, particularly on the interstates, it bounces and jars it, so something's always need to be worked on. Something's always getting broken. <laughs> it's like your house. If your house is in a uh, magnitude 6 earthquake, then that's about what an RV is going down the road. Well, we're used to earthquakes here in California, but we don't have them every day. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't either because you pretty much settle in for a month? Usually about a month at a time because the RV parks, you got a daily rate and a weekly rate, but if you stay two weeks, the monthly rate's about equal to two-week rate. So... And then you can go to the, what's called the boondocking, where you go camp for free on what's called BML, Bureau of Land Management. And uh, a lot of state parks, like next week I'm moving to state forestry, Pisgah National Forest, and it's normally $5 a night, but it used to be free. But now, but with a senior pass, then it's $2 and a half a night. So I'll stay there for a couple of weeks. It's up, going up towards Mount Mitchell, which is the highest point east of the Mississippi. Now, they don't have internet in those parks, right? Uh, I can go a mile up the mountain or a mile down the mountain, and I can pick up a Wi-Fi signal. But uh, I can pick up a Verizon signal and get Wi-Fi. Where I am going to be, they won't even have a Verizon signal. But no, the, the, those parks don't have internet. Right, and those are the national parks? Right, the national parks are 
National Forest or the Bureau of Land Management all out west. They got lots of land that you can camp on free of charge. And that's where they have like wild horses and things, right? Yes. Were you ever scared when you came across a wild animal and you were inside your RV and you thought, wow, what if they get in? No. I have two things that give me a lot of peace of mind. One's a 38, one's a nine millimeter. <laughs> And and those are legal for you to carry, right? Yes. Okay, so we just wanted to make sure that we cleared that up. But um, <laughs> this Alaska girl grew up in high school. You know, we had rifle range in my high school, and I took it, and I, I think I got an A or a B in the class. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you would never see that in California. They would never have any kind of... In fact, I think you can get expelled for pointing your finger like a gun here. <laughs> So the worst thing is basically the repairs and it's cold. Yes. One of the best things we talked about earlier and I skipped over, but one of the things I like probably the best about it is the people you meet because not everybody in an RV park, they're talking what they've done in the past. And, you know, the old saying some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, and some people wonder what happened. <laughs> and the RVers definitely made things happen. If they didn't, they wouldn't be in an RV park. They'd still be sitting on the couch. So they've all, they're all people that... Movers and shakers. Movers and shakers. They're, and... and Literally moving and shaking. <laughs> literally, literally moving and shaking. <laughs> Based on what you said about it shaking, did, have you ever had broken dishes? A couple times. So a couple times they'll rattle when you go over a bump or something? No, I had the cabinet, kitchen cabinet door came open and it, a couple things fell in the sink. Oh, and that was while you were moving though, right? right. Not while you... Well, I went around a, a sharp turn, turned into a parking lot. So now I know not to make, to slow down a little more on those sharp turns and to pack the dishes <laughs> a little better. <laughs> So that brings me to a question. I have a girlfriend who she and her husband bought an RV and rented their house out for three months and they are now out RVing. And I get to see the Facebook posts and one of the Facebook posts that she posted was they rerouted their trip because she was afraid to go on this mountain road. It was in Utah, I believe, and she was just afraid you know, she's not doing the driving. I believe her husband is. But have you ever been afraid on a road? What do you do if you your RV's too big for the road and you can't make a U-turn? And has that ever happened to you? No, but yet a lot of the roads are a little bit too narrow. A lot of times the problem is the trees hanging over. They don't cut the trees limbs enough, particularly up high. In a few roads, I've seen rock cliffs hanging over where a car could go under, but a twelve foot high RV couldn't. So you ha you get GPS, what you call RV GPS, and it shows the clearance and uh, you tell what size RV you have, where you can make this road or not. And then there's apps on the internet you can check all different uh, places, what the grade is, how steep the grade is, and how sharp the turns are. So now wait a minute. So let's back up. So there are actually GPS devices made specifically for RVs. Yes. That is awesome. Is that an app or is that an actual device? It's an actual with both. You can get an app that does that and it's actual GPS. And my friend bought one, I think it came in yesterday that's uh, has all that on the directly on the GPS, which makes it easier to do than the app on your phone. Right. Because it, you just put it there on the driver's area and you don't have to worry about the, you know, not being able to see what's going on while you're talking or running out of battery or whatever right. on your phone, right? I know that when I have a lot of apps open, my phone tends to die really fast. <laughs> I think I'm about to get a new. So what, um, do you know the name of this GPS device that your friend got? It's uh, one of the name brands, Garmin or I'm not sure, but it's one of the name brand GPS devices. They just have an RV version. Okay. Well, that's really good to know if people that are listening can 
you know, know that they could probably just go on Amazon and do a search, right? Or right, and they have apps that do that have all that information on it also. So just search RV GPS. Uh huh. That's that's pretty awesome. When did you find out about this type of device or app? I've known about it for a while. I just uh, I think it was about three hundred dollars or something. So I decided I didn't want one. I've got. One of the big screen that was on sale for $69, and it works fine. It just doesn't have all those features. And you find these things out by just talking to people in the RV parks, or how do you part, how do you find out? Part of the RV parks and then discussion forums on the Internet. And that's why you decided to write your book? Right. Tell me about a person that you've met at an RV park. Tell me tell me what they're like. They're very friendly. I think trying to find a particular one, but most of them are friendly and they've always, what I like is they've done so many inter- interesting things. It's not like they've just been working at a, one factory for a long time. They've off One one guy's spent his whole life flying jets. He's flown about every kind of jet and he told me how much he disliked the Learjets and how much he liked some other kind of jets and all his time of teaching that. And he was just sitting beside his RV to think he hadn't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now that brings me to my next question. Are most people, do they travel in groups or are they solo in their RV? Well, there's what they call solo means one person like me, one person at a time. But as far as in groups, there's caravans, a few groups, but not many. Most, almost everybody goes by themselves. I mean, couples or whatever, they just take off and go on their own. They don't travel in groups. And inside the RV, would you say that what percentage are single and what percentage are married? Probably probably 90% or more, maybe 95% are flying as a couple. may not all be married, but as a couple. And there's a few there's a few single and a lot more, I think, uh, single women. There are single men doing the full-time RVing. So mostly couples? Mostly couples, yes. And in fact, everybody that I know that's a full-time RVer, and I know more than, I, I have at least one client who's a full-time RVer right now. They used to live in the Palm Springs area. They sold everything, and now they're in Texas moving around and, and just having the times of their lives. That's another thing. Speaking of Texas, when you don't live anywhere in particular, you still have to have a home base. You have to have something on your driver's license, an address, and a place to get mail. And the states that most people choose is Texas, Florida, or South Dakota. That's the three states. They don't have income tax, and they have the the best laws for individuals. So you can, you can choose where you want, what state you want to be a resident of, the one with the lowest taxes and where you get your mail. How do you get your mail? Well, I have a mailbox place in, in North Carolina. My brother picks up mail when I'm out and tells me what's important. But most people use this uh, escapees. It's a, one of the organizations. Escapees? Escapees is one of the biggest RV groups. They have a place in Texas and Florida, mail forward. There's mail forwarding places in almost states, most states, and they'll think it's about $200 a year to do that, but they uh, will look at your mail, scan it, and send it to you, and you can say, trash this, or send this to me, and mail, they'll mail it to you as often as you want, weekly, daily, monthly, or whatever, and if you, they'll, for a little bit of extra price, they'll, you can say, I'll open that one piece and scan it and send me what's in there. That's that's awesome. So it's the same service they do that for the people living full-time on a boat or RV, or they all have the mail forwarding service, and that's, that's your address then. The mail forwarding place is your address, and that's legal? That's legal, yeah. And that's what's on your okay. driver's license. And that's where you register. How do, they, how do they forward it to you? You can, they, like, how, do, how does mailing, that work? Priority mail, throw it in an envelope, or however you want to do it. They, you, they charge you for that, so you whatever you want to pay for. And that, so when you're at, the RV park, they will let you get mail there? Yes. As long as you're going to be there more than two or three days, you can say, well, I'm going to be here for a week. Go ahead and send it to this address. 
Interesting. Okay. That's, that's that. See, these are questions that I'm trying to think if I were to move into an RV logistically, how do you do that? You have to have a place where your driver's license. Of course, some people just keep what they've got, but and change it later on. But you need a legal, what they call domicile, what your legal residence is, where you register to vote and where your driver's license and where your RV is registered. And that's what, particularly if you're buying a new one, a high price one, then it's important not to be in a state that's has real high property taxes. Right, because it, it's property like a car is, right? right. Some of the high price ones in the taxes can be quite a bit on buying a new one. And also when you declare, well, Florida or Texas is going to be my residence where I live, then if from a, tax, a state, New York or California, or some of the states that's aggressive on tax, they may say, no, you don't. You're still going to pay us taxes. So you have to make sure you jump through all the hoops to really be a resident of that state, which means driver's license, register to vote, and more things you can do, change your address everywhere. Speaking of voting, I'm not going to talk political, but you know we're coming up on an election year. For those of you who are listening, we're, we're talking right now in 2016, and there's a lot going on. You know, podcasts can be listened to five years from now. They live on forever. How do you vote? Do absentee ballot on it. But the other problem is you get South Dakota is one of the states that people use. If you get jury duty to show up in South Dakota and you're down in Florida, then usually sometimes you can get out of it one time, the second time, they won't hear the excuse again. So what do you do? <laughs> you have to drive to South Dakota? <laughs> that's why I don't have South Dakota as a residence. The other thing that's a problem is on the insurance now, uh, most of the time you've got a certain group of doctors in, in network, and if you're not in network, if you could need health care and you're not anywhere close to your network, all the plans will cover emergency, but room visits, but a lot of the other stuff. So there's things you have to pay attention to that and where you go, how you get your health care. Well, there's another type of plan that, that covers all of that. This isn't a show regarding that, but there are plans that cover any doctor. And we can talk about that offline if you'd like. So I have a question. Now, you might, you might know the answer to this and you might not because you're traveling solo. I have a burning question and we can answer it in a way that is okay for children to listen to. How does one get intimate in an RV and keep privacy? Well, there's a common phrase in the RV park. If this, the RV's rocking, don't come knocking. <laughs> oh, oh that, that's another thing. Etiquette. Are there some etiquette things that people need to know about? I've seen RVs that had like a rug out in front and plants and all kinds of things. Are, is there etiquette that is just for RVers? Generally, it's kind of a rule. Most people don't knock on a door. Most, most RVers don't mind it, but generally people are out of the RV so much or they're sitting in their table and you can see somebody and wave at them, but you normally just don't, don't go knocking on the door. So when you're in the RV, you've got uninterrupted time to work on a project or watch TV or do what you want to. So that's one of the rules. So not when it's rocking, just never knock on the door. <laughs> but that's, that's I say, not, most of the time don't. A lot of people do, and not, most people don't mind. You don't knock on the door as much as you think you would since you're all close. Other thing is sometimes in, in parks, uh, national parks and different kind of county parks and so forth, the RVs are real far apart. But in the commercial campgrounds, sometimes you don't have room to let your awning out. They're so close. So oh. you can hear conversations and so forth. So try to keep the music down and 
in conversations down in the commercial parks where they're real close together. So just be mindful of your neighbors. Right. No boom boxes. No boom boxes, no barking dogs. And you can tell them on the weekends when campers come in that's just coming for the weekend, they bring their dog, which everything's new to them, so they're always barking. The full-time RVers are there. Their dogs are used to everything. Nothing's new, so they don't bark. But weekends, you get some barking new dogs. So wear earplugs on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. If there's two people in an RV, the earbuds are or they listen to television or whatever, it's kind of mandatory. Oh, right, because it's so small. Right. So a lot a lot of earbuds in the RVs when there's more than one person. Right. <laughs> that actually makes sense. I mean, you have a lot of really practical advice. Is all of this advice that you're talking about in your book? Most of it is. I think probably everything is in there. Well, if there's not, I'm sure you have contact information at the end of the book, and we'll give out your contact information at the end of the interview. So you have been doing this for three years. Is this something that you plan on doing until you die, or how long do you think you'll be a full-time RVer? Probably until I die. I had an uncle that did it until he was 93, and he was still... 93? Oh, my God. And somebody said, if you get too old to drive your car, just put it behind your RV and tow it. That makes a good uh, bumper sticker, I think. Did you say it was your uncle that RV'd until he was 93? Yeah. And is that how you got the idea? No. I mean, he passed away not this past summer, but he's been RVing pretty well up until the end. But uh, I've never actually been in his RV. RVers are what percent of the population? I'm guessing 1% or less? Definitely 1% or less. And so it's not something that most people think of. Oh, I'm going to retire and buy an RV and sell my house and just... Be free on the road. You know, that's not really something that most of us think about. So how do most people come up with the idea of selling everything and moving into a 350-square-foot moving home? A lot of them spend a lot of time, a year or two or three, thinking about it and getting ready for it. The hardest part is getting rid of their stuff. Everybody has a big problem, and most of them end up putting it in a lot of stuff in storage. I know one talking about a storage. I know one couple put stuff in storage and didn't see it for seven years, didn't even open the door because it was in California and they was traveling around the east. And just it's hard to get rid of stuff. One of the uh, interviews that we had was with an organization that helps people downsize into the senior communities. And that was one of the things that they talked about. And I'm sure that they would help people who are moving into RVs as well. Although I, 300, some of the smaller RVs are even less than 300 square feet, right? They're Oh, yeah. Most of them are less than that. One of the advantages of the, what's called the Class A, which is the long one, looks like a bus, is they have a lot of storage space underneath. In fact, they refer to it as a basement because it's under the living space, whereas the others don't have the Class Cs, the ones that look like a U-Haul moving truck with an overhang over the cab. They have a little bit of space, but not much. But the Class A's have the, a lot of storage underneath, so that's better for full-time living. Are there any issues with having such a big RV? No, people think they're hard to drive, but you can take a class or just get out in a Walmart parking lot and practice backing and doing the turns on it. A lot of people think the Class A's are hard to drive, and they think they don't get good gas mileage, which is good because it supply and demand. Not as many people want them, so the prices, you get a lot more RV for the money on those. Everybody wants the little ones that get 20 miles a gallon and easy to park. They're good if you're not for trips or if you want to travel a lot, but if you want to live in it full time, the bigger ones are better. Do people buy the small ones and then upgrade when they realize it's not enough space? No, it's actually more the other way around. Here, talking more people wanting to 
go to a smaller RV than go to a larger because it's a lot more maneuverable and you can particularly if you boondock and you can get in smaller places and go over rougher ground. So more people I've talked to are going smaller instead of larger. Isn't that interesting that once they've been RVing for a while, they actually go from their bigger one to a smaller one? <laughs> <laughs> and most people, uh, it's hard to find out when you're trying to decide what kind of RV to get. You can't just ask people other RV because everybody likes the one they have. If they didn't, they'd get something else. So I, right. so I tell people the main thing is don't try to find the perfect RV because, first of all, you don't know what you want until you get out there. And a lot of RVers, probably over half of them, one study said, within two years have a different rig than what they started out with. So wow. my advice is don't buy a new one because they depreciate a lot more than faster than cars. But your goal is to buy one at a good price that you can sell within a couple of years and get your money back or maybe make a profit. So it's a lot easier to find your first one as one you can sell quickly as opposed to one that you think you won't stay in forever. How do you make a profit on a on a used RV? Well, because a lot of people, when, the, when they get ready to quit RVing or they pass away and their kids won't sell it or whatever, they just won't sell it in a hurry. So just do enough check-ins, know the value, and take your time finding it. You can, you can find some bargains. That's good to know. Years and years ago, I lived in a house that had a lot of property, and my next-door neighbor had a big RV like the one that you have. I, I never measured it, but it was one of those big ones. And he paid me $75 a month to park his RV on my property. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, he was not living in the RV. He, you know, was working with a couple kids and a wife. People who are not living in the RV and they're just weekend RVers, it's a sort of a different mindset to people than the, that live in them, right? Oh, yeah. And a lot of people, when they start RVing, they want to act like they're on permanent vacation. They want, or on, they want to do all the tourist things and travel everywhere. And most people spend a whole lot more time traveling the first year than they do any of the other years. They just finally get stressful. They don't want to do everything and see everything and go everywhere and eat out. And first thing they know, they can run through a lot of money doing that. So just remember, you're not on permanent vacation. You're just a temporary resident everywhere you go. So you live a like a temporary resident. You, That's you, you live good. like a resident, not like a tourist. That makes a lot of sense because if you wanted to live like a tourist, you'd get a hotel. You're right. And I've heard people doing that, that they drive their RV somewhere and then they stay in a hotel. So that would be more of the tourist person, not the full-time RVer. Right. I was at an RV park not long ago and this woman was there complaining. Said this, she didn't like it. She said she was having to do all the cooking, washing the dishes, doing everything. <laughs> said, I, I want to go change the sheets. Said, I'm on vacation. I want to go have, live in a hotel and eat out and have somebody do that for me. So it wasn't her thing. Okay, that makes sense. And even RVers can take a vacation right. in a hotel, right? Because being an RVer sounds like a lifestyle, not a vacation. Right. And a lot of people, I had some friends that are full-time RVers. They just got back from a two-week cruise. You, can, you go on cruises or... Do I take vacation like everybody else? How expensive is it to live in an RV? Kind of like how expensive it is to live in a house. It can run all over the range. But probably the lowest cost is several people living for less than 1000 a month. But probably two or 3000 is assuming you don't have any payments on your RV. So you still got insurance and food and uh, depending on how much driving you do and how much uh, the RV parks, you can get anywhere from 300 to to $1,000 a on a monthly basis, four or five hundred dollars a month is probably a typical rate. But you can get this called Passport America and some other things that allow you 
half price at RVs at RV parks. You can, it's normally thirty dollars a night. You can get it for fifteen. So there's lots of ways, and then do a lot of what's called boondocking. When you're traveling, just making time, want to go from one place to the other. What most people do is stop and spend the night at Walmart parking lots. And Walmart allows that and encourages it. You just park out and get get permission because it's a few that don't allow it. Not that they don't allow it, but the city ordinance or something won't allow it. But you park there and. Normally, you go in and buy a bunch of stuff from groceries and things from Walmart, but you park overnight. You say you're parking, you're not camping. You don't let the slides out and the jacks down and run the generators. You just park overnight. Next morning, you get up and take off, crank up the antenna and watch television. But the next morning, crank it down and take off to the next place. So that's free camping then. So, and mainly, it's easy. You don't have to disconnect the cars. Because most time, if you're towing a car behind, you can't back it, so you got to disconnect it to back into a camping spot. And a lot of people do travel, do what they call the two-two-two rule. They travel no more than 200 miles in a day, get to where they're going by two o'clock, and spend at least two nights there. It's a lot easier, more less stressful than trying to drive every day or drive a whole lot of miles a day. That sounds good. The two-two-two rule: 200 miles. Get there by 2 p.m. and spend there at least two nights. Right. When you go and visit your friends and relatives who live in a house, do you stay in your RV or do you stay in the house in their guest room if they have one? In the RV, it's called driveway surfing. A lot of people do driveway surfing. You just visit friends and stay in the RV. That way you're a welcome guest. They only have to wash sheets when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> when you do a driveway surf, is it usually for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a month? How long do you normally stay in somebody's driveway? More likely, like you'd normally visit them a day or two. A day or two. Yeah, because I think there's a 72-hour rule. Yeah, like fish. Like fish. <laughs> <laughs> After three days, they start. But if you're in the RV, not like you're hanging around, right? You're you're inside your RV. I was thinking of the parking rule. <laughs> yeah, and usually when, when you're doing the driveway surfing, if you're going to be there more than one night, you try to make yourself useful, mow the grass, cook supper for them, or walk your dog, or be something to make yourself useful. Well, let me know if you want to come to California, because I, <laughs> I can use all those things. San Diego is a great place to visit. Now, you were talking about the cost of gas. So you said that it's not as expensive as you think in a 34-foot RV. What's the gas mileage in? About eight miles to the gallon. So it is expensive, eight miles per gallon. But most people will drive maybe three or 4,000 miles a year, some will do twice that much, but if you, that comes out, not that expensive, you total up your total expenses, the gas is not part of it. If you're driving every day, of course it would be, but most people would go somewhere and stay two or three weeks or a month and then go another four or five hundred miles and do that, so it doesn't total up as much as people think it would be, particularly gas prices now down in the $2 range or less or more. Or something. Not in California. <laughs> <laughs> I filled my, I put 70, 70 gallon in mine the other day at $1.95. Oh my gosh, you're making me jealous. I was in, in Tennessee, North Carolina price is not that cheap. I was in Tennessee see then. That's why I filled up before I came back here. Oh my gosh. This has been really fun. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to make sure that my listeners are aware of his books. He's got the RVing book, Motorhome and RV Retirement Living, The Most Enjoyable and Least Expensive Way to Retire. Jerry, what are your other couple of books that you have? I think you have the Young RVers Freedom, Lifestyle Making, and what was the third book that you had? I have one, Advantages of Moving into a 55-plus Park, which is has a chapter or two about RVing, and then I have one coming out next month 
how to live in a full-time in an RV on your Social Security. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Please make sure that you keep me posted on that one. We'll update the show notes when that book comes out. Okay. And you were also just featured in a publication, right? Escapees Magazine, which is the largest RVers magazine. It goes to 50,000 RVers, and they did a, a full-page review of the Young RVers book and the motorhome and RV retirement books. They do come out every other month. This was the May-June issue of 2016. That's great. So two last questions before we say goodbye. And the first one is, what do you think people should know before they retire? I would say most financial advisors are saying how much money you need to retire on, go that route. I'd say do the opposite. If you get close to retirement age, what have you got? What you got is not going to change much. So figure out how much income you have from Social Security or or pensions or whatever, and then figure out what how you can retire on that income. So look at it from that perspective as opposed to doing the opposite. That's excellent advice. I think you also had a saying about your RV is like your dog? Oh, yeah. The RVs, they have personality to them, and people get them decorated like they want it, and they like it. It's not the most expensive rig. It's not what makes you the happiest. I know one of the happiest couples I saw was a couple in their mid-80s, and they had a pop-up camper, and they were living in that full-time, and they were just happy as could be. That's nice. Very nice. And the last question is, we have a lot of listeners who are either new retirees or they might feel stuck. If you were sitting across from one of them right now, what is the piece of advice that you would give them to be able to enjoy their retirement? For the RV part, I'd say make sure you both want to do it. If one person... Wants to, really wants to do it, and the other one's kind of going along with it, it's probably not going to work. So, Because I know if, if there's little things about your spouse that irritate you when you get all day long in an RV, they really get to be bigger things. So. <laughs> because you can't get away. Right. You can't, and that is one thing, too, is make sure you plan some away time. Like one person goes and plays golf or goes fishing or goes shopping or something. But you do need to plan some away time, some me time. Great advice. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And for my listeners, we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Isn't Jerry great? I just loved how he gave us all this great information on how to go RVing and live in an RV. And not only that, but he and I put together this great little freebie for you called the five steps to living in an RV full time. You can get it by heading over to the Rock Your Retirement website. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash RV and pick up this week's freebie. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement Show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Hi, this is Kathy. When I'm not hosting Rock Your Retirement, I'm helping people with their Medicare insurance. One of the times you need to check your Medicare insurance is when you've moved. To get my free guide, Five Things You Need to Know About Medicare When You're Moving, just go to medicarequick.com slash move. And in the meantime, listen to these cool disclosures. Neither Medicare Quick nor its agents is connected with the federal Medicare program. Medical insurance licensed in the states of California, Florida, Nevada, and Texas, and Medicare Advantage and Prescription Drug Plan service areas vary. 
California Insurance License 0797566.